I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why, presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to the How, the Why, brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today it is uh, my pleasure to uh, connect across oceans with Chris Lee, author of How I Became a North Korean most recently, and also the short story collection Drifting House and multiple other works. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, thanks for bringing me on. It's good to be here. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so uh, thank you, yeah, again, for, you know, we're, we're talking over time zones uh you're on a probably you're in a different day than i am which is so exciting <laughs> that i get to be have this international connection um i love when i talk to authors i love talking about the beginning stages of of discovering literature and i just read um an essay you wrote the invention of the self is another kind of fiction and you talked a little bit about like fiction coming into your life at a young age, but I'd love to know like just a little more about that first discovery of, of literature and the power of story and the power of fiction. When I was very young, um, uh, I had immigrated to America before I, you know, I could, I mean, I barely spoke Korean at that point, I suppose. Um, but um, when I started school, uh, and I really couldn't speak English at all, but I could read since my mother taught me to read English at home before I went to school. And uh, I, the real first start, I think, of me as a writer, or in some form, um, uh, was when a teacher had basically loved a poem that I'd written when I was like seven years old and had it framed in class. Um, and what do kids always want and need, I think, at that age is some kind of affirmation sure. that what they're doing is worth um, looking at or reading. Um, but books were always another window in a world for me. Um, I grew up very, um, I, I suppose, a challenged background. It was very difficult life and a family to, to live in and books were a way to not be myself in a sense. Mm. Um, fiction was a way to escape into other worlds, other places, continents. And fiction was a promise that, that there was a better future than the present. And I really needed that when I was, um, when I was young. And what's been touching, I think, as a fiction writer is that, um, especially with my first book, Drifting House, I had people writing me saying, I, you know, reading your book saved my life. And I was so surprised because I hadn't expected that. Wow. And yet um, I was so moved by the fact that when someone was 
just hanging on um, that year, you know, that uh, they recognized some kind of survivor in the work and that gave them a little more courage to keep going. That really meant a lot to me. Um, but that's really what began the love for language and a love for story um, and uh, originally poetry. But uh, when I discovered works that uh, I discovered what my material was in a sense as a fiction writer, um, that propelled me into the world of narrative. Hmm. There were things that I needed to say and needed to write um, that were calling for a different form. And that's how I uh, started my journey down fiction. When you're, you're, I know just from the research that I've done, we both have in common, both of our fathers were pastors. And I know that in that world, that storytelling is such a big part of, and I'm not going to like try to be um, controversial by saying that it's fiction, but it is storytelling, you know, the, and, and what I remember most of from my young age are these stories of the Bible, not necessarily like the messages, but the stories of it. Was that an influence at a young age too? Oh, yes. I mean, I grew up, um, as, as you know, when you grow up within the church, uh, you also grow up with a mythology in some mm. ways. Um, uh, you know, your my earliest metaphors and the metaphors that are that still come to me all the time are the Noah's Ark, you know, the uh, Jonah and the whale, right. uh, yeah. the Garden of Eden, David all those things. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And those are and that's a very powerful. It's incredibly powerful storytelling that happens through the Bible and also within the church itself, because the story of good or, the, you know, or what the church is meant to represent isn't always the case uh, because churches are, you know, run uh, by human beings. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that Absolutely. very much influence like I think everything that I am as both as a human being and as a writer because I can't I thought um, at when you know when I left uh, being a regular attendee of the church um, and a youth leader and all those other things that I was when I was young um, I thought that there was a part of my life that had um, come to closure but actually I found as a fiction writer the thing that haunted me most and I kept returning to were yeah the I, the stories of the bible the the uh, the the great battlefield of the bible mm. the sense of all the the important things in life death life spirituality mortality good evil uh, hypocrisy all those things um, that both the bible and the church teach you were the things that continue to haunt me so I returned to religion again and again in every book i'm very i'm haunted by it <laughs> right yeah i mean it's a huge part of uh, how i became a north korean um on obviously i don't want to give anything away but it definitely becomes the uh, central part of how these people get find their freedom to an extent um yes yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so poetry became something that you liked when did you discover that this was something that you wanted to pursue more as a, a career 
I didn't really think of, uh, you know, I, 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 I just, in general, I, I, I lacked a, a lot of confidence and I lacked, uh, in the confidence in myself as a writer, or I didn't even dare imagine myself as a kind of writer, I suppose. I lost my mother when I was in college, and that really changed everything for me because all this faith that I had in words and in poetry seemed to me meaningless for a great period of time. I just thought, I, you know, it's, it's almost indulgent. Uh, it seemed like something that would come to a finite end anyways. And so I walked away from um, words or this desire to pursue anything um, uh, within words as a career. But um, but as you know, many writers discover, you may give up uh, writing, but writing doesn't give you up. Sure. And so I came, I, I had to come back to writing because I missed it so terribly. And uh, when I started the short story collection, I didn't expect or imagine, again, being published at all. Um, it just seemed too remote and thing, something that happened to other people, not me. Um, partially that has to do with, I suppose, my own, again, lack of confidence in myself, but also because I think part of the, you know, being a, a Korean American or whatever it is that I am at this point since I've, you know, live in Korea and right. have so for since college, uh, post-college, um, that uh, it's it's not considered a profession really within this world. You, you know, you're meant to you know, you want a job with a steady salary, a recognizable kind of uh, place in the world. And uh, to be an artist is is something that is not really per permissible for anyone that doesn't come from a great deal of money <laughs> within this culture. Um, so I, I just wrote for myself. And I, I got lucky because um, I went to, when I had about five odd stories, I got a scholarship to attend a couple of writing residencies in America. And one of them, uh, and this was, well, I was on it, I had started a little residency program that I had also, again, because of, um, I got a scholarship I was able to attend um, or allowed myself to attend. And at Squaw Valley, um, uh, the writers conference, my agent, uh, discovered me because the workshop leader, uh, Dagoberta, uh, Gil had gone and told faculty members, I found this great writer in my workshop class and you got to read her. So, uh, you know, Susan Gollum approached me by the end of the week. Uh, she had seen half of half, the half dozen stories I had. I think I had about five at that time. And she, uh, um, she signed me on. Hmm. So it was, it was something I just hadn't dared imagine. And even when we went to uh, sell the book, I assumed that if I got published anywhere at all, it would be with somewhere very good and small and quiet. And whatever happened, I would be grateful uh, for her faith in me. But we went to auction and we had eight publishers bidding for the book. And I thought, are they mad? It's a short story collection and they will lose money. <laughs> but it, it, so I was very lucky uh, that um, in some ways publishing found me um, because I, I don't have the I, I didn't have the faith or the willpower, the conviction that I was meant to be a writer. Um, at that stage. 
And it took me even after I was published and, um, you know, things went very well. I won a few prizes, was invited to literary festivals around the world. I still couldn't call myself a writer. I didn't dare use that word because it was such a, a hallowed thing for me. I, I had such great reverence for these the books that I had grown up with and all the books that I hadn't read yet, but I desired so strongly to read that um, – it, that didn't seem to belong to me because I, I was a mere mortal. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's, I feel more like a writer now, but it took me a while to get there. <laughs> were you, when you were co- uh, putting the stories together, did you know it was going to be a collection or were you just writing stories? I was just writing stories. It was only uh, later when it was actually at Squaw Valley again. Um, I, the, one of the workshop leaders, they have a work, different workshop leader every day. And uh, one of the leader, uh, workshop leaders asked us, what's the title of whatever you're working on? And I just thought, oh, my gosh, what is it that I'm working on? And what is the title? <laughs> and he, he went around the room. And I think I was like number eight in that, uh, that queue. And by the time he got to me, I had decided the title was Drifting House. <laughs> wow. And it stuck. That's in the room, in that <laughs> moment, the title came. That's amazing. Yes. Um, I, I, I tend to be, I tend to rely a lot on instinct. I think the, my better moments as a writer tend to be more instinctual. Um, and the, uh, the thought process happens much later. So even my, the title for how I became North Korean came to me much earlier and I had to under, it took me some time to understand why that title felt right for the book. Um, so at this point when you were at the low residency at Squaw Valley, were you living in Korea? Had you moved back to Korea? Oh, so I, I actually had started the low residency program at Warren Wilson and I had gotten a scholarship there for the MFA program. And then while I was a student at Warren Wilson, I applied for the, uh, the one week long writer writing conference at Squaw Valley and they, they gave me a, a, a scholarship as well. And I was still living in Korea, which was why the scholarships were so important to me or otherwise, um, the, the thought of paying that much money to do something was really do something. So, um, you know, uh, against the uh, ethos of becoming a lawyer or doctor was uh, was really unfathomable. Um, but uh, yes, it was during that period. I, and I still lived in Korea it, um, for various personal reasons. I was involved in a relationship. Um, I, I didn't want to leave. And I had moved every three years um, since I was young. And Seoul was the first place where I was stable like mm. it was a place I, I i was living in rather than moving to or from so it was important that i stay did that change the way that you write i know you've 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 touched on that in other interviews about how it kind of awakened other things so talk a little bit about how how coming back to your home country affected the way you wrote it it it, it did um in that i it helped me find, uh, I'm not, and I don't mean to imply that a writer only has um, a very fixed amount of material that they're meant to write about, because as you change as a human being, um, the, the material that calls to you changes as well. But um, at the time, I think I was really half a person in a way. Um, one of the 
I think, great tragedies of all, all the people on the move, whether they are uh, migrants or refugees or immigrants, is that uh, the next generation or even the generation um, experiencing this is cut off from the history and the rationale of their personal lives connected to the greater social history of wherever they are from. So for me to go back um, suddenly helped me to start to understand what had happened to the immigrant culture, uh, the Korean immigrant culture in America, what had happened to my family, what all this meant. And, um, and so much, so little I knew of my family because they were very private, uh, tight-lipped people, um, allowed me to reimagine the generation before and how the Korean War affected all the generations uh, um, after that. Uh, and, I, and that was what I needed to write at that time. The story of Korea, Korean, uh, and the Korean diaspora, mm. um, and this, uh, this, this, uh, the, ren- the rendering and cleaving of history that affected everyone, whether they knew it or not. Um, just the same way that I think uh, I had to write how I became a North Korea out of over a decade's experience and friendships with North Koreans and activists and how I grew and was affected um, and was angered and moved by everything that I learned and became as a result of my um, life and uh, friendships uh, within that world. Um, and my third book is a total fantasy in a way. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a world that takes place underground, um, at least uh, a great part of the book. And in some ways, maybe an ode to more than anything else, solitude, which also grew out of a totally different experience. And this book has very little to do with Korea per se. And this is um, an invented world that came to me in a dream. And so uh, it, it's exciting because I think um, as you write, you see, hopefully, you see your own growth in the kind of books that you write and you see yourself changing both because of what you have written and how the books change you and how your own life is changing. Um, it, it, it's all connected. I want to talk a little bit about you as a, a tactician, as a writer, because you're, you're very good and you know uh, I, I can give you a million compliments but you're very good at uh, you know in how to how I became a North Korean you have three distinct voices and you've done such a great job of making them so distinct so I, I want to talk about how you go about creating a character and finding that character's voice this is the struggle for all writers who are trying to become intimate with their characters, I think, because in, in many books, um, uh, it, the, that intimacy isn't an, even required, depending on the, the distance of, uh, in point of view. But when you're writing in first person or you're writing in a very flexible third or getting very close to your characters, your, your goal, I mean, as a writer is to hopefully bring these characters to life so your reader can experience 
that life through the character. And that was very important to me because I really wanted to create an intimacy with uh, North Korean characters and to make them totally complicated and true and human uh, for the readers in a way that um, uh, would strip them of hopefully this uh, the label of North Korean and make them more a human being first. Sure. I think um, you achieved that, definitely. Thank you. Well, you but they're messy. They're yeah. they're they're complicated. They're not necessarily the best people. I mean, they all have like the things that they're fighting for and the things that they're willing to do to get what it what they want. But uh, they're they're so distinct, which is um, I imagine, especially in going chapter from chapter from each character's perspective, must be must have been a, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, it was. And the chapters didn't come in this nice sequence either. It was, um, uh, it, I had a, a draft in a year, but it took me another three plus years of rewriting and revising to find the right house and the form, the architecture for the book. As well, there were competing voices early on in the book and other point of views that have become much more minor characters now or um, who have lost, um, in some ways, lost the, you know, um, they're no longer main characters, so mm. they no longer have their own uh, voice within the book. But um, uh, it really came down to whose voices compelled me most that I had written early on and whose stories um, compelled me most. And uh, then uh, by when the book naturally whittled down in that sense. And then I had to find out how to shape and juggle these, uh, these voices and give them, uh, uh, the space, uh, to, uh, to, to, to carry the book. But, um, you know, I, I think in some ways, if I had started out uh, and continued to write a book with a single point of view character for a first novel, um, it would have been much easier, especially since my first book was a short story collection. Um, it would have been much easier to manage. But I didn't want to. Uh, I resisted that because the world is multiple and the voices of there's so many competing narratives within uh, the North Korean story, um, that it was important to me, uh, that as many voices that I could, uh, have present and yet still, uh, create a sense of intimacy, um, felt right for the book mm. to, in order to create, in order to cr create a sense of different perspectives. I think of David Mitchell and how he, um, he, I don't think he's written, um, maybe he's written one book where there's a single point of view character, but otherwise the sense of time and character uh, points of views are, are multiple because I think that allows a greater world to be shown and yet hopefully not lose that intimacy um, that's so important to the human story. And writing is there a challenge for you of writing from the male perspective? Because you seem to, to do that very well. 
I like writing from the male perspective. And sometimes I think I'm a woman, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body, (laughs) frankly. Um, So, or maybe there's a yearning to be the other that also attracts me to the male voice. Also, sometimes I I found, um, especially in my first book, um, if there was autobiography, uh, very, very indirect autobiography, because I, I don't consider myself a traditional autobiographical writer. So if, as the more deeply you write, the more you discover yourself in the work, which Absolutely. is yeah. terrifying and exciting. Um, but it frees me up uh, to take on another voice, a gender, uh, an age, frees me up to dis, uh from myself in right. some ways, or at least the illusion. It, it gives me the illusion that I'm free of myself. And um, as I think I mentioned in that essay, to escape oneself is a kind of fiction, and yet you write the fiction and discover yourself through that. Um, but it's also the, the the whole Virginia Woolf Orlando thing going on, that the great thing about fiction, one of the, uh, the great gifts of fiction is that we have the capacity to imagine the lives of multiple others. And that's such a, uh, a privilege. Um, and unlike filmmakers, it doesn't cost us millions and millions of dollars to, to, to bring that to life. Right. You know, a pen and a, a pen and a, and a notebook. That's all one needs. Uh, if you don't even have a laptop. I, I, was, I it's funny. I, the last interview I, gave was with another author whose books felt very personal as you, as you read them and and it's I'm always curious is there you know the more and more that you write is there like a hesitancy to let people that are close to you to read it for fear that you know they may be finding out some way that you felt about them or you know some secret that you have hidden in your fiction. Do you ever experience that in your writing? Um, I would say with the, with the first, after the first book, I actually, it's more interviews that I'm afraid that certain people will read. Um, it, in some ways I'm liberated because my, both my parents passed away very, when I was young. And mm-hmm. so if I would be much more protective if they weren't here in terms of at least my interviews. Um, but after the first book, I felt like I had to be a little more, uh, at least indirectly, uh, indirectly direct <laughs> in my, in, in interviews because, um, there was the worry, uh, that, you know, I had many people ask me questions like, so why are the men or the women in your books like this? Or why is there so much violence in your work? Um, and the assumption that some cynical readers um, or especially critics might make is that this is gratuitous. And, and actually, it's very organic to my life. Uh, and my, uh, my obsessions are, are ones that I can't get away from. But the fiction itself, I mean, fiction is so hard to write that the, I mean, maybe the first superficial layer, that first draft is so much about instinct. And after that, because the shaping is happening and the thought is, is taking place, but it happens within the internal world of, uh, uh, that you've created, um, that there isn't much room for that sensor, at mm. least when I'm trying to write something true to me and I discover 
what uh, I discover, you know, I turn a corner in the, in the fiction and I discover who my character is or, or suddenly I write a couple of lines down that seem to have come from nowhere, um, but was hiding in my sleep. And they seem to be a, a key to understanding a scene. Um, there's no room in that struggle with the page for the critic. It's only after the book is done and it's turned over to my, um, my editors and we're deeply in the publication process that I start to wonder how, what will people think about me? But by then it's too late. <laughs> sure. It's out there. <laughs> yes. Um, I also want to talk about like back to the, you know, you as a technician, um, before we started the interview, I was talking about after reading how I became a North Korean, it's a world that is so foreign. I mean, especially, you know, the, the world of, of life in North Korea, but this concept of trying to get away from there, but still holding a pride for where these characters are from. Uh, but it's the, the place that really put me there and and kind of like opened my eyes to a whole new ending, which is the beauty of fiction, but opened my eyes to, or of literature itself, opened my eyes to this world that was so uh, uh, foreign to me. And how, how important is it for you to be able to capture that sense of place? Place, uh, you know, like Juno Diaz used a phrase, I think, somewhere um, in his uh, in his writing um, called world building. And uh, I think there's many courses also taught about world building. And I think that uh, without a world, where are your characters um, on a fic on, on, the, on a terms of technical level? The world is essential for me to understand who my characters are. Mm. But on a larger, I think that place has always been crucial in the way I approach fiction because I cannot see myself as separated from the society that um, I came or I am, you know, a part of now. Um, and I feel myself constantly shaped by place. And as well that I find myself interrogating place because place is also about, it's not just a physical world. It's about the values of the world. It's about the privileges that each world gives you. It's, and it's also about the struggles that, um, the, that what, whatever place you are, you know, endows you with. Um, and because I think going from Korea to America to England and back to Korea has given me such a, a, a sense of how tenuous, um, one's stable self is when people when I say I am an I I don't know what that really means anymore huh. like I am Chris Lee what does that mean right. and and I, I can literally trace the geography of myself within the places that I have lived in and how they influenced me and how I changed in my time in that place as a specific reaction to the place itself so uh, I'm, not, I'm unable to write fiction without an understanding of how place affects my characters. And the place, the setting, is a character. It's, for me, setting and that world is a living, breathing, almost sentient creature um, that overwhelms us. I'd love for you uh, to finish off here. Um, just talk a little bit about your writing habits and what your routine is when you sit down 
working on your third book or with any project what what is it that you need what is it that you what is it the time of day that you like working what is it that you need to give you the freedom to be able to create uh, ideally like most writers i would love a large studio with a view of the mountains hmm. and a parrot floating by like i think elizabeth bishop had in brazil <laughs> <laughs> but i don't have that which is fine most of us don't um but uh, and especially in Seoul, spaces are very small, so uh, um, you don't really. It's very difficult to find a stable place to write in a way. But I also I, I move, so I move around a bit. I have an office at the university um, where I teach at now, um, and I go to cafes. Sometimes I start working at home. I go to the library. I will go anywhere to keep myself in some ways alert to words. Um, instead of sinking into um, some kind of habit. Um, I like to write in the morning uh, well, when the willpower is still there and when I'm less fatigued by the demands of the day. Um, but I will write anywhere it works. So sometimes I have taken to getting on the subway and I will write on the subway because... There's nothing else to do when you're um, uh, writing to the end of the line. Mm. Uh, I've and I've done that deliberately. Sometimes I have isolated myself at times. If if someone has the good grace to loan me their cabin for a week, which has happened twice, then I write very well. Though I go half <laughs> mad there. Um, I will really do anything I can to write. Uh, but the greatest teacher and inspiration for me is still life and reading and so uh and again i'll borrow from juno diaz's words that i read uh some at some point which was that he is a uh, a reader who happens to write because um, reading is what replenishes me uh, and i read both fiction and non-fiction regularly i read daily and i feel as if if i don't read every day i haven't had my dinner um and maybe if I don't write every day, if I miss a couple of days, I'm okay. But after that, I feel very uneasy. And if I ever have a week or two when I'm unable to write, which is what happens when, you know, you have a job and lots of other demands, um, people will say to me, oh, you're so cranky because you haven't written, right? <laughs> and I realize that it's true. That, it's like um, a low, low blood sugar, but for It years. is. It, it, it's what keeps me myself. <laughs> Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, it was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show and, and, uh, and for taking time out of your own day as well. This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanick and yours truly with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How the Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center dot center.
I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.